Good morning, everybody. Got a, as Paul said, it's a pretty day, isn't it? Pretty Lord's Day. Even if it is early. <laughs> um, so far, we've seen a sick, cyclical pattern in the book of John. We've, um, we've seen... Um, Jesus reveals his divinity through a pattern of witnesses, teaching, and miracles. Uh, people react to Jesus' actions through belief or disbelief. We see a pattern of the personal evangelism used by Jesus in all these scriptures. Uh, last week uh, and over the previous weeks, uh, Paul told us about, uh, uh, was teaching out of John 5. And, of course, there was the miracle of the man with the infirmary of 38 years, his healing, and then there was arguments with the Jews. And um, so, you know, uh, Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and their hard-heartedness and ignorance and pride and protection of their own self-interest. Paul also talked about the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, this week we're going to be talking about chapter 6 and there's two promises from Jesus. I'm going to kind of go along with uh, Brother Mike Mazzalago's, uh teaching there that uh, he had on his slides, on his uh, presentation um, we're going to try to cover through verse 40 today. I don't know if we'll make it or not, but there's 71 verses in this chapter, and it's quite, it's quite extensive, so we'll see how far we get. Um, the miracle that we studied in John 5 was the third in the book of John. The first one was the water to wine in Cana. And let's see... Let's see what else we, we have here. Turned water to wine and healed a nobleman's son. And then we had the man with the infirmary in uh, 38 years in chapter 5. Uh, there's two miracles in chapter 6. There's going to be the, um, uh, the uh, five loaves and two fishes becoming enough to feed 5,000. And uh, then there's going to be the final uh, miracle of walking on water. And it's recorded in more than one one place in uh, the New Testament. So, again, we talk about the... So we're going to get right into the text here. And I'll, ju- I'll just be reading the text from the uh, screens here since uh, in the interest of time. But if anybody has any comments, just let me know. Um... John 6, 1 through 15 is about the feeding of the 5,000, and we'll start with that. So, starting in in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Um, Tiberias... Is the is an Israeli city. It's on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, established by Herod. It was established by Herod, 
and named after Tiberius, who was the second emperor of Rome. Uh, the Sea of Galilee was known as the Sea of Tiberias back in that time also. So Jesus was going from Capernaum to the other side of Galilee on the eastern side near Bethsaida where he had been. So here is Tiberias. You see it right there. Uh, it's got a, got a little red dot where it is. It's over it's over there on the east side, and it goes to the. Then Jesus is going to be going to the west side um, later on here. Um, verse three and four. Jesus went up to the on the mountain there, and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. That's in three and four. Five and six. Jesus lifting, therefore Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread so that we may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. So there's a large crowd there that's uh, because of the Passover. And we studied earlier that on all these religious feasts uh, that there would be large crowds. And so Jesus, he's always wanting to keep the Sabbath and, and, and keep all these festivals. So he's among the people with, with all these things going on. Um, so uh, Jesus knew that he was going to perform a miracle here. Uh, to further confirm that the Son of God was who he, who he said he was. And, um, but he was testing Philip here. Um, Philip had seen at least three miracles already, and he was seeing what Philip would say when he said, where are we to buy bread so that we may eat? Uh, Jesus knew full well what he was going to do. Um, he was going to just see how his faith was and, you know, uh, just see how his apostles had, had grown. Uh, Jesus in this chapter is going to be testing not only his apostles, but all the disciples that followed him, the rulers. He's going to see just what kind of faith has been, has been developed in them uh, so far. Um, so we go to 6, 7, and 8, and y'all can stop me anytime you want to. But um, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Okay, uh, a denarii was a Roman coin uh, which resembled a, a, a Greek didrachum, which is... Um, which was used in trade. It was equal to about a day's pay for a common laborer. So if, there, if it took 200 of those to feed the crowd, then you know that would be over a half year, almost two-thirds of a year's salary for them to, to feed all those people. So Philip, you know, these uh, apostles are not wealthy people at all. And they're, so Philip is really concerned about how these people are going to be fed. Um, 
So he says, I, you know, what, what am I going to be able to do? What am I going to do here? I mean, I can't go buy bread for all them. We don't have the money. Um, so one of his disciples, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? So, you know, both Philip and Andrew, both are showing a lack of faith. Not just Philip, it was Andrew also. They, you know, it's, here's, a, here's a little boy here who has five loaves of fish, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, but what is that going to do, you know? Um, of course, we'll, we see in Colossians 1.16 that for by Jesus, by, by Him, Jesus actually, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, both visible and invisible. So, you know, this was written after that, of course, but, you know, they, they, if, if they had true faith in Jesus, they'd have known it. I think Genesis 1.27 says that, that, you know, the world was created through the God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, they, they didn't have the faith that he was who he said he was, or they'd have known that he could do something about this just on his own. So, um, Jesus said, this verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, and in number about 5,000. Um, now that's just the men. There was more than that. You know, there's women and children also. Um, this has all, this um, story is also accounted for in uh, Mark 6, 30 through 44, and it says that they were, if you'll read that account, it says that they were grouped in groups of 100s and 50s. So that's how they had them all group, grouped out and about. Um, and the other accounts of this uh, are in Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Uh, as I said, Mark 6, 30 and through 44, and Luke 9, 10 through 17. So, you know, that's, that's where, the, where you can read about this, and there's a little different take on some of this in, different, uh, in the different readings of it. Um, when they did that. Uh, saw Sam on television the other night on Channel 31. I thought that was neat. <laughs> um, I think his school, Discovery, over there had uh, was one of the safest schools in, in North Alabama. I don't know if it's the state or... But... Uh, 
appreciate that comment there. Uh, so we go to John 6. Jesus took, took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish as, he, as they wanted. All it took for this miracle to occur was for Jesus to bless the food and to give thanks and for the loaves and fish and they multiplied. Um, you know, similar to the uh, changing of the water to wine, Jesus, again, he, it, just, it just happened. There was not any, it wasn't hocus pocus, it wasn't, do you, do you have enough faith that I'm going to do this type thing or any of that kind of stuff like a lot of these modern, you know, uh, faith healers and all that kind of stuff. Jesus just did it, you know. So, um, can imagine what they thought when they saw this great abundance of food there right after there had only been five loaves and two fish before that. So, chapter uh, 12, when, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. Uh, you know, Jesus... Uh, um, Jesus was not a, a, an advocate of wasting anything. You see right here that uh, he's, you know, we've heard the statement, waste not, want not. Well, Jesus kind of, uh, I've heard people say, well, that's not in the Bible, but in a way it is. Uh, it says, gather up the fragments so nothing will be lost. So, you know, uh, that's kind of a, a little lesson within the lesson there that we don't need to waste food or waste anything else as far as that goes. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the, from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten them. Um, some people, some Bible scholars, and I don't know if we can really put a lot of emphasis on this or not, take some symbolism away from the 12 baskets being that, getting back to Sam's comment, that this was part of the limited commission that the gospel was first being sent to the Jews and, and then that, you know, this represents the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know if we can say that or not. Um, uh, possibly. Then the 4,000, when they were fed, it was seven baskets left over and that that was a symbolism of seven being complete uh, the meaning of that that it was to the rest of the nations after that uh, but you know I'll leave that at that there's no way of knowing really whether that's really what that meant but I have read that but, um, anybody got any comments before we keep going here There you go. Great comment. Great comment. He, he, he's always giving us more than we need, and he does that on a daily basis too. And all of the, all the blessings that he gives us. Uh, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, "This is truly the prophet who is coming to the world." So, 
you know, the crowd is showing some belief here, but um, are they showing the belief in his divinity, <coughs> or are they just happy because they got physical bread? Okay, that's very true, Mike. And how do we know this? Uh, well, we read the remainder of the chapter for one thing. We see how his disciples and the leaders and even his, some of his apostles, one of his apostles, will either walk away or lose faith in him. So um, that's not a good, um, a, a good uh, characteristic of the crowd that they were only looking for food, you know, not to get political here or anything like that, but there's a lot of people nowadays who, who uh, vote for their favorite candidate based on what they're going to get from them. But um, unlike Jesus, you know, Jesus was making bread that uh, he could create from nothing or from five loaves and two fish in this case. But um, the candidates, they're taking from our tax dollars and doing that. But... Uh, you can get a you can get a good crowd if you're giving away free stuff. But. Mark, do you think the, the multitude here were they fully aware of the miracle that occurred, or was it mainly for the apostles there to prove to them that he was? Um, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that right off the top of my head, but. Uh, uh, it kind of makes you think that they might have, but then again, when was, in other words, when was the miracle done compared with when they knew that there was so little food, you know? So it's really, I, I really don't know the answer to that. If somebody else knows, then... So they were following him because of the miracles, Nathan said. So, uh, so you know, these people saw the miracles. They saw that he was doing different things. And, you know, uh, John only records seven miracles. So there were more than that. Was it 38, I think, that Jesus performed? So I think it was something, 38 or 39. So, you know, there's very much possible that there's been many more miracles done by now and they had seen all these so um, you know it's a good possibility that they knew about this miracle because they, they had just seen another one but I, I will say this later on in the chapter and we'll get to this uh, the people were, would ask for uh, the ability to do these miracles so you know they they obviously knew about some of them, and possibly this one. So uh, anyway, uh, Mark, I think the verse we're looking at kind of answers that question. They said when the people saw the sign which he had performed, yeah. they said true this is the prophet. So I think they knew what he had done, mm -hmm. and there were no other sign that had been done there at that. 
at that location right here. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. We can kind of perceive that, can't we? All right. So move to 15. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Uh, Jesus didn't come come to this earth to be an earthly king. Uh, he did, so he, he went to the mountain to be alone to kind of get away from uh, the crowds that were following him. Uh, he, uh, he wanted to restore Israel. He did not want to restore Israel to be an earthly kingdom. Uh, he knew that only God anoints the kings. If we go all the way back to, to uh, Saul... David and on down the line, only God anoints kings and not a crowd. The crowd thought of Jesus as a, like a superman, but not as God's son. The people wanted the earthly kingdom to begin, but God had a spiritual kingdom in mind. So, you know, just because these people wanted him to be king does not mean that that's what Jesus was intending uh, all along. Uh, as Jesus, as, as God, Jesus didn't need prayer. But as a man, and we're continuing this God slash man thing, he needed for the Father's will to be done in his life. So Jesus departed to the mountain to be alone to pray, showing, our, showing giving us an example that we need to pray also. Uh, he prayed for God's will to be done, and this miracle has been com- this miracle, by the way, has been compared to the uh, to God providing manna in for Israel in the wilderness during their forty years of wandering in Exodus sixteen, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, so that's the uh, so that's the comparison there. Um, Okay, that's the first miracle that uh, is performed in this chapter. Has anybody got any questions before we move to 16 and the next miracle in the chapter? You said about the man, the point is brought out that we all, like them, thought the man fell from heaven. It appeared on the ground. Right. I didn't realize that until I got to study this too. Mm-hmm. It just appeared there, but we all think that it fell from heaven. It was daily too. What does, yeah, and... And they were, that was an amazing thing, wasn't it? All right, so we move on to 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And, getting, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea of Capernaum to Capernaum. So they're going back to Capernaum on, by boat. It already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Um, So this is a second miracle uh, in chapter 6 and it's walking on water. Uh, This miracle is recorded in Matthew 14, 22 through 33, uh, Mark 6, 45 through 56, and in our scripture John 6, 16 through 24. It's not recorded in the book of Luke. So, um, this was a 12-mile hike or walk, for lack of a better word, and it was six miles by boat. 
this miracle that, that we got coming up here was performed for the apostles and and it was to increase their faith. So Jesus is kind of testing people as he goes here. Alright. Verse 18 and 19. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and, and drawing near to the boat. They were frightened. Um, so the apostles know that this is a miracle. They see Jesus walking on the sea and he doesn't have a boat. And if you read John, uh, Mark 6, 49, um, they thought he was a ghost at first but uh, because they never had seen anything like this. Then uh, we go to 20. One other account of this miracle includes the account of Peter's attempt to walk on water uh, toward Jesus. That's not uh, recorded here in uh, John, but we see Peter's lack of faith. He gets out there on the water and starts walking, and the storm gets worse, and the next thing you know, he's sinking and needs to be pulled out by Jesus. So uh, Jesus is continuously testing their faith here. Uh, verse 20, But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at, at the land in which they were going. Now this miracle, whereas the previous miracle of the loaves and fish has been compared to the manna God uh, gave to the Israelites in the wilderness, this one has been somewhat compared to the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus because Jesus was able to metaphorically like part the sea to walk to walk to the apostles um, so you know it's, it's interesting to make those kind of comparisons and see that you know God kind of repeats a pattern throughout the Bible in the New Testament a lot of the stories are kind of pointing back to our schoolmaster in the Old Testament so 22, the next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with the disciples in the boat but, they, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So the next day the crowd is looking there and saying, well, how did, this Je how did Jesus get back over here? He, he didn't have a boat. Um, so they were aware of that also. Uh, that I mean, that's so they. Although they didn't see the miracle itself, they knew that it had happened because of the evidence of it. Uh, Twenty-three. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where the, they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now this next part of the, of the lesson, or later on, is going to be taking place in the synagogue of the Jews uh, on, in the last district. It's not going to be in this particular place, but later on they're going to be in the, in the, in the synagogue. Uh, when they found 
him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So they were astonished that, that he had joined the apostles without a boat, and they followed him. They said, well, you know, this, this guy really does do some really wonderful things. Let's follow him. Uh, he, he, he makes all this food for us, and he can walk on water. I mean, uh, so, you know, they, their belief is being, being uh, increased, but they don't know really why. They don't really know who he is. Uh, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because of your si- you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So Jesus sees here that uh, he knows men's hearts. He knows that their belief is based on kind of what they can get out of him. Um, he, he knew that it wasn't a spiritual seeking, it was more of a physical seeking. So uh, Jesus uh, is, is kind of sifting these people as he goes, you know. Verse 27, so do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, the God, has set his seal. Uh, Jesus, of course, is revealing their, their true motives, that they wanted free food. He reveals what their motives should be, and that is spiritual uh, food or spiritual satisfaction and his true spiritual gifts are, are through God's seal Jesus Christ 28 therefore they, they said to him what shall we do so that we may work the works of God so these people instead of realizing that Jesus is the true Son of God through these miracles that He's done here and in previous times, they are just concerned about this getting their immediate needs filled. They say, what shall we do so we may work the works of God? So, you know, that's a very selfish thing to, to say there. Um, shows that they the crowd is not on board with him, his divinity or anything like that. They just want to be able to do what he's he's doing. Um, of course, we have a later example of some of the same same type of uh, character. We see Simon the sorcerer in Acts eight, uh, chapter eight, where he wants to also have the the way to make do miracles and whatnot. So. Um, the people are still not exactly where, where they should be spiritually. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who sent, has, has sent, He has sent. In other words, this is for you to believe in Me that I am divine. It's not for you to just have something to eat when you need to have something to eat. Um, in fact, the entire book of John um, 
in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it talks about how the whole reason that, that uh, all these miracles were done was for belief in Jesus. So these people don't have that, not yet, anyway. So they said to him, what, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What, would you, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So the crowd wants four main things. They want free food. They want more, more signs, more miracles. They want the ability to do miracles for themselves. And they want an earthly kingdom. And they're not thinking of a divine kingdom at all. Um, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. He's letting them know that even in the Old Testament when Moses was providing the manna, or when it appeared that Moses was the one that was providing the manna in the Old Testament, it was really God doing it for them. Um, so... Uh, the the manna in the Old Testament, it served three purposes. It was physical food for the Israelites. It was a witness of God's power. And it was a, a type of spiritual food. And it was kind of a prequel to Jesus' spiritual food in the New Testament. Okay, 33. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus lets them know that God, not Moses, provided the spiritual food. Then he said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Um, now this Lord that they addressed him as is not Lord Savior. It is Lord Sir. In other words, it's not, it's not really a, a, a div, that they now all of a sudden know he's divine. Um, they just know that he's, he's not the average person because he can do miracles and he can, he can provide food and that sort of thing. Uh, they think Jesus can somehow provide super manna and cause them not to be hungry again. So, you know... They, they've got everything all wrong here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Um, so Jesus tells them directly that he's talking about spiritual, not physical food, and, that, and spirit, food and water. And, you know, we see this same concept in... Larry's lesson a few weeks ago with the woman at the well where, you know, Jesus was talking about spiritual water that, that she would never thirst again. Uh, so Jesus is saying that he's the, he's the Messiah. He's the Son of Man. He's God's seal. He was sent by God. He's the Son of God. He's the giver of life to the world. And he's the bread of life. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Um, 
So Jesus is basically saying that he knows that they, uh, they've seen him, but they don't believe in him. And he's kind of comparing them to the Pharisees and the Sadducees like uh, Paul talked to us last week about. Um, so kind of in summation here, and as we get to the last three verses, Jesus offers two promises to us. He offers acceptance. Uh, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And when it comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So Jesus makes two promises. If you come to him, hey, you will not be turned away. Okay, this verse alone refutes Calvinism or what the Presbyterians call predestination because he says if you come to me and you believe and you follow me then you're not going to be cast out. Uh, predestination says that only certain ones will be saved and like the rest of the people, you know, they're just out of luck or something. I guess is how that, that doctrine goes. Um, let's see. Okay, the second promise is eternal life. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but raise it up on that last day. Uh, the lose nothing means that he's anybody who has been baptized, who has followed his will, they're not going to be lost even though they sleep until judgment day. They're going to be raised again. Um, and of course, uh, 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So he's not, Jesus is saying he's not going to lose anybody who truly follows him and is faithful unto death in 38 and 39. So we come to verse 40 here. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on that last day. Um, notice that the eternal life comes before the resurrection, and I guess that's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. So He's telling them that your eternal life begins when you come up out of the water. As long as you stay faithful unto death, then your eternal life actually has begun when it comes up when you come up out of the water. That's kind of a you know, it's kind of a light bulb moment when you really when that sinks in really, because uh, that's how important baptism is, that it gets you into the church and it gets you into the, the kingdom of heaven as long as you're faithful. Jesus performs two great miracles and declares that he's the Savior, the Son of God, and the giver of eternal life. And he makes two promises. He will accept anyone who comes to him, and all who do come to him will receive eternal life. We got to realize that doubt is normal. We all have doubts. 
Now this chapter, we're going to continue next week in uh, chapter in uh, verse 41, and there's going to be more and more doubt and more and more uh, questions, and Jesus is going to sift them out, the, the, the crowd, the teachers, and, uh, and the rulers and the, and, the, uh, and the apostles. But doubt is normal, and we all have it sometimes, you know, John the Baptist even had doubts about whether Jesus was who he said he was. You know, he, he had somebody sent to Jesus and asked him, are you, the, are you the Son of God or should we look for another? Um, but Jesus' apostles, uh, Jesus' apostles would soon find out that he was really who he said he was. And apostles especially were faithful unto death. And we need to be faithful in death also. So that turned out to be pretty good <laughs> on the time. Uh, you have eternal life now. I guess that's one of the biggest things I got out of this is that we're actually living our eternal life right now. It's just begun on this earth after we become Christian. So uh, we'll, we'll get back into this chapter and go through it, start on 41 next week. So. Appreciate the comments and your attention.